Alright, so today we are starting a new series called Keep Calm and Carry On. And you've probably seen that sign somewhere in some form or fashion. Has anybody seen that before, that Keep Calm and Carry On? Have you seen it anywhere? Do you know where that, that originated from? Does anybody know where it originated from? Well, I didn't either, so I had to look it up. So let me tell you where it originated from. Back in World War II, the British government printed a number of posters to boost the morale. This particular poster was intended to be put up if Germany ever invaded England. Well, Germany never did invade England, so at the end of the war, they destroyed all of these posters, all but a few of them. And it pretty much went away until the year 2000 when a bookstore owner uh, stumbled across one of them, and he thought it was pretty cool, so he framed it, and he put it up next to his register in his bookstore. Well, people would come by and see it, and they, they liked it so much they started to want copies of it, so he started to make copies of this poster and started selling them and then it kind of really just took off from there and it's funny to me how things start to make their way into the conscious of our culture and take a life of their own because there are so many versions of the keep calm carry on posters out there so I want to share a few of them with you um, you have the opposite version which is the act hysterical and give up and now it's time to panic um, and these are real. I'm not kidding. You can buy these posters. They're real. Um, you have the dog lover version of, uh, of the Keep Calm and Carry On. You have the sci-fi version, which is Yoda. And it looks like Doctor Who. Um, for you Florida and FSU fans, you have the Keep Calm and Tebow on. And Keep Calm and Chop on. And then you have the Girls Day Out version, which I guess buying shoes keeps you calm. I don't know but um, having your nails done. Um, and then um, you have the superhero version, which is called Batman. And, and then here's my favorite one, which is, is the stay alive and avoid zombies <laughs> one. So um, anyways, we wanted to do this series because the original Keep Calm and Carry On slogan is probably uh, a message that I think all of us should try to incorporate in our lives because I think sometimes... When we look at the world around us, a lot of what we see is we see things like war and, and terrorism and Ebola breakouts and all of those kind of things. And it, and it becomes easy for us to slip into this, this panic because it looks like the world around us is just falling apart. And even in our own lives, I mean, the stress and pressure of just living from day to day, keeping up with work and paying bills and raising kids and uh, maintaining relationships and just enduring hardships of life. I mean, sometimes life just seems to press in on you and, and never lets up. And it's easy for us to slip into that overload mode of, of panic and worry. And I think it's at times like that that we have to remember that our God is a very big God. And our God is in control of all things. He really is. And at times we just need to keep calm and carry on um, regardless of what the circumstances are. And so today we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about um, weathering life storms. And um, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I had this perception that life was, was just going to be smooth sailing. Anybody else have that perception? That, you, you know, when you were a kid, that life was just going to be easy. That you were going to grow up, you are going to get married, have kids, have a good job, and just enjoy life. Life wasn't going to be a problem, or at least that's the way I thought it was going to be. I thought life was going to be that way. 
So I started my life that way. I got married. Um, here's my beautiful bride, Ashley. She looks amazing. Yes, absolutely. Um, so Ashley and I got married. And when we got married, I mean, both of us knew that we wanted to have kids. Um, we even talked about it before we married. We definitely wanted to have a family. And so after we got married, we started the process of trying to have kids. But for whatever reason, that just didn't happen. We weren't able to conceive a child. Month after month after month, we kept trying, but weren't able to conceive. So we went to the doctor thinking, well, maybe there's something wrong with one of us, and maybe the doctors can do something about it. So we go to the doctors, and the doctors check both of us out, and there's nothing wrong with either one of us. And the doctor says, there is no reason why you should not be able to conceive a child. And so, after that, we continued on and on again, and still, we weren't able to conceive a child. So at some point in the process, I don't know how long it was, probably about a year, maybe a year and a half in the process, we decided we were going to adopt. If we couldn't have a child, we were going to adopt a child. God had put that on our heart to do that. But here's the problem with adoption. If you've ever tried to adopt in the United States, it's very, very difficult to adopt an infant, uh, mainly because abortion is legal in America, and there are not a lot of infants to adopt. Um, and then if you're going to adopt overseas, it costs upward to fifty to $60,000 to, to adopt a child overseas, which we didn't have. So we decided we were just going to go ahead and adopt an older child because there were plenty of older children available for adoption through the state. So we started that process of adoption. Now let me explain to you how the process of adoption works. You just can't say, I want to adopt a child, and they give you a child. You have to actually go through a process where they do an investigation of you. They come and do a home study and interview you and check you out uh, to make sure that you're fit to be a parent. So part of that process is to send a social worker to come and talk to you and do your home study interview. Now for Ashley and I, we wanted to do our home study through a Christian agency because when they ask you questions about like how do you handle problems in life, how are you going to handle the stress of adoption and those kind of things, we wanted to be able to say um, that we're going to trust in God and want them to understand what we were talking about. So we went through a Christian agency. We found probably the first one in the phone book, called them up. They sent a social worker down uh, to talk with Ashley and I. Now here's where the cool thing happens. is the social worker that came down to talk to us. I went to school with her in college and uh, knew her very well. Um, so she starts to talk to us, and she's basically saying, going through the process, and she goes, well, why, why are you guys adopting an older child? Don't you want to adopt an infant? And we said, well, sure, we want to adopt an infant, but there aren't any available. And she said, well, it just so happens that the agency that I work for has a lot of single mothers that are getting ready to give birth. Would you like to be put on our adoption list? And we said, absolutely, we'd love to do that. So she did that. She put us on the list. And she said, it'll take about two years. That's the average time. It takes about two years for a birth mother to pick you because the birth mother picks the adoptive family. So we put our album together, got it to her, um, waiting. We're going to wait for two years or for how long it took. Well, six days later, we get a call and they say, um, a birth mother has picked you and we have a child who's going to be born tomorrow. You need to come to the hospital. And so that's what we did. We went to the hospital six days later. After scrambling to try to put the nursery together and paint it and put a crib together, and we didn't have a crib. Do we, have a, we, need, we had a crib? We had a crib. It wasn't together. 
So we were scrambling to do all that. Um, we get to the hospital, um, and the birth mother wanted Ashley to be in the delivery room because she wanted Ashley to be the first one to hold the baby after the baby was born. So it was really cool. So this is Alex when he was born. That's the day he was born. And the, the, the first thing that Ashley said was, it's a boy, <laughs> because we thought it was going to be a girl. Um, that's what they told us. The ultrasound said it was a, a girl, and we had a girl name picked out for him and everything. We had girl clothes for him, um, but it was a boy. Um, but it was really cool. It was cool that um, it was a boy. So, so Alex comes into the world, very beautiful baby boy. Um, we were so, so blessed. We took, them, we took them home, um, and uh, we just thanked God for him because it was an amazing God moment. God gave Alex to us. He was meant to be our, our boy, and he gave him to us. Now, if you don't know how the adoption process works, this is kind of how it works. When a, when a mother is ready to give up adoption, uh, a child for adoption, she has to terminate rights. Um, so she signs a paper that terminates rights, and the father has to do the same thing. But for Alex, his birth father was unknown. She didn't know who his birth father was. And so um, they did what's called an unknown father uh, termination of rights. So we do that, have the uh, uh, unknown father termination of rights, and we have Alex for about six months because you can't immediately finalize adoption. It's about a a nine-month to a year process after you bring them home before you can finalize adoption legally because they have to come and do home visits and stuff like that. So we had Alex for about six months. And then the call came. The call that, that just, it, it literally turned our world upside down because they called and said they found the birth father. And then he wanted his son back. And for Ashley and I, it just ripped our lives apart in that moment. And it seems like that's the way that life goes. You're going through life and everything is great and perfect and just how it should be. And we feel like things are good and that the waters are calm and it's smooth sailing. But out on the horizon where we can't see, a storm begins to develop. And it forms so fast. And it travels so quickly that you never see it coming. And before you know it, you're in the middle of a raging storm. And that's the way life is. Life is full of storms. I mean, sometimes they're small and they're over quickly. But sometimes they're hurricane-sized storms and they last for years and maybe even last for a lifetime see everybody goes through the life of everybody goes through storms in life everybody does there is no exception from that everybody goes through storms in life in first peter chapter 4 verse 12 peter says this dear friends do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. See, Peter is saying, why are you surprised? This is normal. This is life. This is what's happened. This is what happens. Why are you surprised that you're going through this? 
In James it says, brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. The key word there is when. When troubles come your way. Not if. Not if they do, but when they come. Because see, some point in life, maybe not now, but definitely in the future, some point in life, tragedy is going to hit. And you're going to find yourself in the middle of a raging storm. And it happens to all of us. And it happens more than once to all of us. See, that's why we're constantly encouraging you to be in a small group. It is so important that you find real community. A group of people who are sharing life together. A group of people who are carrying each other's burdens. And the reason that we tell you that is because when tragedy hits... You're not want to go through that storm alone. You're going to want to have people around you that are going to take care of you, that are going to pray with you, that are going to meet your needs. You need those people in your life that you can call at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, hey, I need you, please come over. And you can't do that if you don't take steps now. Because, see, those kind of relationships, those relationships where people will come over at 3 o'clock in the morning, they take time to build. It takes an investment. Have you ever heard the phrase, dig your well before you're thirsty? That's what that means. You have to dig your well before you're thirsty. And I've got to tell you, when Ashley and I were going through this, I don't know that we would have made it unless we had those kind of people in our lives. It's not that they had the solution to our problem or that they could do any more about it than we could. Because there really was nothing to say. There were no words to comfort us. There was nothing to do but just cry out to God. And that's what they did. They prayed with us. They cried with us. They shared our pain. They walked through it with us. And see, it's in those relationships that we see that God is real. And that God is alive. And that God cares about us. So if you're not in a small group, I want to beg you, Get involved in one today. Find a group and get plugged in. You can sign up on your connection card. Just say, I want to be in a small group. We'll find one for you. We'll find one that fits you. Get in a group today. So the agency calls and says they want Alex back. They found the birth father. And I don't, I don't even know how to explain how hard that was for us. I mean, it just felt like the world was coming apart. They had to do a DNA test because they weren't just going to take his word for it. So they had to do a DNA test. So we had to take Alex down to the doctor so they could swab him to do a DNA test to prove that the, the man was Alex's father. And I can remember going outside after we got the news because Ashley was just broken and crying and clinging to Alex and it was just too painful for me to watch and so I go outside and I remember being so angry at God I was so mad and I kept asking God why why would you bring him to us why would you give us this beautiful gift only to rip it away from us God why would you do it it just didn't make any sense I mean, I literally felt like my heart was being ripped in two. And I even questioned if God was real. Was God even real anymore? I mean, why? Why, God? Why let this happen? Why now? 
And that's the big question, isn't it? That's the big question, why? See, whenever we go through these hard times in life, we ask why. Why is this happening? Why me? Why right now? And why is a tough question. It is, it's a tough question because why never suffices? Why never satisfies? Especially when you're in the middle of a major tragedy. And the truth is, oftentimes the why is beyond our acceptance and understanding. Why is hard? Because we just don't understand why. I think the better question for us sometimes is what? God, what are you teaching me in this time? What do you want me to do? What should I change in my life? And Brian, he's going to talk about this next week. He's going to talk about the what, what God's doing in these storms. But until then, let me try to answer the why the best way that I know how. Because I believe we go through trials for three different reasons. The first one is because, sorry, because sin is in the world. Sin is in the world and it's our own fault. We bring it upon ourselves. See, the Bible is really clear that there are consequences to sin. When we sin and we clearly go against what God has designed for our lives, the results of that rebellion is often pain and suffering. And it eventually leads to death. Paul says in Romans that the wages of sin are death. So the reason why there is pain and suffering and death in our world is because we as humankind chose to rebel against God. And the consequence of that rebellion allowed sin to come into this world. And sin results in death. But see, here's the cool thing that I love about God. Because it's not God's will that we suffer. It isn't His will. He didn't intend it to be that way. See, He created the world perfectly. God did. And He created us perfectly. But it was our choices that messed that whole thing up. See, the cool thing is God uses pain in our lives to get our attention. He uses us to move away from our destructive behavior and to be closer to Him. See, actually, pain is a gift from God. I know that's a radical concept to understand because we think pain is a bad thing. But think about it. What happens when you touch a hot object? The nerves in your hands send impulses to your brain to say, hey, that's hot, and you jerk your hand away. And you do that to keep your hand from suffering deeper damage. Because if the nerves didn't tell you that, you'd hold on to that pot and it would burn your hand even more. And see, I think God does the same thing for us. When we sin, He disciplines us. He causes pain in our life so that we will jump back away from it. So that He gets our attention. So that we move back to Him. So we go through these trials because sin is in the world. The second reason we go through them is because it's somebody else's fault. See, remember, sin has consequences, and those consequences aren't limited to just ourselves. Sin affects those that are around us as well. See, those that we love and care about often suffer because of our choices, the choices that we make in life. And sometimes those consequences can last for generations. Just ask Adam and Eve. We're in that boat because of them. And it might not even be somebody you know or somebody you are close to that brings a trial to your life. It could be a complete stranger doing something evil that affects a multitude of people. We see it all throughout our history, mankind inflicting suffering upon mankind. 
and through no fault of our own, the wrong choice of somebody else can come crashing down on us with devastating consequences and change our life forever. But let me say this about that. Don't make it an excuse. Don't use it as a crutch. Because sometimes what somebody else has done to us, we have a tendency to to use that as an excuse to hold on to bitterness or anger or even to hold on to our own sin. See, our our past shapes who we are, but it doesn't define who we are. It's the choices that we make from this point on that defines our character. How we got here isn't as important as how we respond to the adversity that we're faced with. Because we're still responsible for our choices from this point on. So don't use it as a crutch or an excuse. So sin is in the world. Sin affects those that are around us. And the third one is is that God brings these trials and storms to us and He allows us to go through them. And although we may not understand why He allows it to happen, God has a good reason for it. And that's the part of what that Brian's going to talk about next week. And let me give you just a little preview of it. Back in that First Peter passage, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Now the Greek word used for painful trial here is called perosis. And it means burning or fiery trial, a fire used to refine metal. And God uses these storms in our lives to shape us and to mold us, to refine our character and our faith, to make it stronger, to make us more into the image of who His Son is. And that's a painful process at times. And it's especially difficult for us to understand when we're in the middle of a storm. But God says, don't despair. Don't despair. In fact, He says, rejoice, because I'm going to make you into something amazing when you go through this process. And James, He says, dear brothers and sisters, when trouble come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So four weeks it takes for the DNA test to come back for uh, Ashley and I. The hardest four weeks of our life. Without a doubt, the hardest four weeks of our life. Because we didn't know. We didn't know if we were going to get to keep Alex or if he was going to be taken away from us. And we had everybody praying. We had all of our friends, our church, my mom's church, um, there must have been a thousand people praying for us. The DNA test comes back, and he's not the father. He's not the father. It was all made up. It was a lie. He's not the father. And we get to keep our boy. And it shaped us. That process shaped our faith, and it laid a foundation of trust that we have in God that allows us to endure and is why we are where we're at today. It was a defining moment in our lives. 
a defining moment. And Alex's story has a happy ending to it. And it all worked out. And we praise God that it worked out. We do. But I also know that it doesn't always work out. We think it should work out. We think it should, but it doesn't always work out that way. And sometimes we're left with more questions than answers. And God, I don't understand, but sometimes God heals and does miraculous things. And other times he doesn't. And sometimes God protects us from harm, but other times he doesn't. So the question is, is it just a matter of our faith? Do we just need more faith in God for it all to work out? I don't think that's the truth. Let me read to you what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. This, this passage is called the heroes of faith. They're talking about those people who are in the, kind of the hall of fame of faith, if you will. And it says this, How much more do I need to say it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets? By faith these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from the dead. But, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All of these people, all of them, earned a good reputation because of their faith. They all had faith. They all had amazing faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. I don't know why, and when I say I don't know why we, and I mean we as churches in America, I don't know why we have created this expectation that because we follow God, everything in our lives is going to be great. That we will get all that we deserve, a great job, a good home, a good family, a long life. I mean, that's our expectation. It really is. But yet God never promises any of those things. Actually, it's the opposite. Jesus says, if you follow me, I promise. I promise you will receive things like testing and trials and troubles and persecution and suffering because of my name. But see, these things are necessary to mold us into his image. Because I believe God is not as concerned with our comfort in this life as he is with our character in the next life. Let me say that again. I believe that God is not as concerned with our comfort in this life as he is with our character in the next life. And it's our character that is shaped in this life. 
So oftentimes we look like we're left on the unfair side of life. But God is saying, look at the bigger picture. See, this is not the life that I have for you. I have another life after this life. Earlier in Hebrews 11, it says this, all these people, the ones that we were talking about, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth, meaning this wasn't their home. The earth wasn't their home. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See, God has a better place for us. And he's using these storms that are in our lives to shape our character, to refine us, to prepare us for a life after this one. But sometimes there are things that happen that still just don't make any sense. And that's where it gets hard for me. Because it's hard for me to understand why a six-year-old girl gets cancer and dies. It's hard for me to understand why a freak accident will kill a father of three young children. It's hard for me to understand why people are born blind or unable to walk. And this is where I just have to rely and trust in God. I have to have faith in God's purposes over mine. And I have to trust that He has a bigger perspective than I have. See, God's ways are not my ways. God has a greater perspective. Jesus was walking along with His disciples in John chapter 9, and they saw a man who had been born blind. And His disciples asked Him, He said, Rabbi, why was this man born blind? Was it because of His own sin or His parents' sin? And Jesus said it wasn't because of His sins or His parents' sin. This happened to Him so that the power of God could be seen in him. See, these are the things where I just have to trust God. See, I know we're created to glorify God. I know that's our purpose. And I know he works in ways that I don't understand. And I know that he has a bigger picture. I get all that up here. I do. I get it up here. But man, when you're going through a storm in your life, that's a hard concept to hold on to. It is. Sometimes it's hard to hold on to that. So how do you weather these storms? How do you get through them? Ultimately, like I said, it just comes down to trust. I can remember when we, when, when we were going through this process with Alex that I prayed to God. And I remember really clear what I said. I said, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand why you're taking us through this. I don't understand why you want to take my son from me. I said, but God, I trust you. I trust you that you have a bigger picture in mind. And so whether Alex stays or goes, I trust that it's the right thing for him. That it's the right thing for him. And I remember after praying that prayer that God gave me I don't know how to describe it to you. He just gave me this amazing peace. A peace that it was going to be okay either way. I didn't, I didn't get a word from God that says he was going to stay. 
Ashley did. She was assured of it. I didn't. I didn't know whether he was going to stay or go. All I knew was that God had it in his hands. And if Alex was going to leave us, it was God who was going to do it. And I had to trust in that. And it just gave me peace. And I know that sounds so simplistic, but that's what you have to do when you go through storms in life. You just have to trust. You have to trust in the promises of God. Ashley was telling me a story not too long ago about one of her coworkers who had stage 4 cancer for the second time. And as he was going through his cancer treatment, she asked him how he could stay so calm after going through this a second time. And he said to her, he said, there came a point in my life where I had to ask myself, do I believe all of this stuff that I've been saying in my life? I mean, do I believe all these things that I've been saying about God? And do I trust Him no matter what happens, whether I live or die? Do I trust that God is in control and is doing what's best for me? And that's peace. That's peace in the middle of the storm. You don't know whether you're going to live or die. But you go, do I believe all of these things that I've been saying about God my whole life? Because this is where it matters. Do I trust when it's time to trust? Hebrews 6 says, Now the people take an oath and they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath to us. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. What are you anchoring your soul to today? Because I don't know what storm is in your life right now. I don't know what you're going through. But I know that you're going through storms. It may be that you're dealing with divorce or broken relationships. It may be that you're experiencing loss and you're grieving. It might be an addiction that seems impossible to overcome. Maybe you've prayed for healing and that healing hasn't come yet. Maybe you're suffering financial. You don't know how you're going to pay the bills from last month, much less the ones from this month. Maybe you're just struggling to know who God is and if He's even real and if He even, even cares about what you're going through. I want to promise you that God does care. He does. He cares and He's near you. Psalms 38:18 says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. In Hebrews he says I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. See God's compassion for us never runs out. It never grows old, it's unceasing and it's renewed every single day. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're suffering and experiencing, I want you to know that God is with you. And he's walking right beside you through this storm. Even if it seems like he's distant, he is there with you. Because God's promises are true. They're true and unfailing.
And with God, you can weather any storm that you walk through. There are some cards up here on the stage and some pens. I'm going to ask the band to come up and the prayer team to come up. And what I want to ask you to do is when the band plays, if you're going through something that you're struggling with in life right now, I would ask you to come and write that down on this card. You don't have to put your name on it. You can do it anonymously. But write that on that card and leave it here at the stage. Maybe you need to kneel and pray at the same time. Or maybe you need to pray with one of the prayer team. They're up here for you if you need it. But whatever your burden is, whatever you're going through, if you're willing, please come up and write it down and put it on the stage and pray to God. Call out to Him. Ask God to show Himself to you. Ask Him to show that He's there walking through the storm with you. And then after a few minutes, for those of you who aren't going through a storm, because we don't always go through storms, I would ask that you would come up and take one of those cards. Because see, we're called to carry each other's burdens. That's what the body of Christ does. We're called to pray for each other. And so what I'd ask is you take one of those cards that have been written on and you take it home with you and you would commit to pray for that burden this week and pray that God would do something amazing and miraculous in the life of that person. God is with you. I know life is hard. Believe me, I've experienced it. Man, have I experienced it. But God is an amazing God and He loves you and He loves us and He wants to help you with whatever you're going through. So let me pray and then the band's going to play and then you respond as God leads you. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank You that You do allow us to go through storms in life. And God, why we don't always understand why, we don't always understand what You're doing, God, I know that your purposes are are greater than ours and, God, that you are in control of it. So, God, I would just pray that you would help us to have faith in those moments when we go through those storms. God, that you would give us strength to look to you. You would give us peace that only you can give. God, for all of these people in here today, whatever they're going through, my prayer, Lord, is that you would do something amazing in their life that you would show yourself to them in an amazing way and that you would bring peace into the storm that they're struggling with. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.